Good morning, church. Hey, so glad to have you all with us today. Um, This is kind of the sermon that almost didn't happen. Um, Let me explain. So if you're wondering why my beautiful wife, Caitlin, is up here with me today, um, it's because I, like Joe put it, roped her into it. Um, And uh, today I knew mapping it out where, where we wanted to go. I wanted to focus on the story of Mary and her interaction with Elizabeth. And you've got these two pregnant women that have this beautiful moment together. And I was like, it'd be weird for me to just be some dude up here talking about some pregnant women. So I value my wife and her insight and, uh, and what she has done and, and her study that she's put into the, the person of Mary And so I asked her a few weeks back, hey, would you be willing and consider doing this? She's like, no. Okay, hear me out. And she she finally hesitantly agreed, and we put the sermon together. Begrudgingly. Begrudgingly. And everything was going smoothly until we both got sick this week. (laughs) Yeah, I had double pink eye, and she had a severe sinus infection that left her without a voice for Friday and Saturday. Which is super interesting when you're a therapist. Yeah. So... All that to be said, bear with us today. Um, if, if she kind of cuts out or has to turn and cough or something, I, I can take over. It'll be all right, okay? I do not have COVID. Yeah, no. <laughs> but we do also know that there are a lot of people out with various sicknesses and, and, and such right now. So we definitely want to keep everybody in our prayers as far as that's concerned. Speaking of which, let's start out opening with a word of prayer, if you would, this morning. Father God, thank you for the blessing that it is to gather with your people, to worship, to encourage each other, to hear a message from your word. And God, I pray that you would be with us today. Fill this place with your spirit. Um, Intercede for us. Uh, You know our hearts better than we know ourselves, Lord. Speak to us through the amazing women of Mary and Elizabeth and the song, the beautiful song that Mary sings and has been preserved for us for generations. And God, please empower Caitlin's voice today so that we may speak your truths and your love into the lives of those around us. Uh, Thank you for bringing us to this point. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So today we are on track two of Christmas Carols, Volume 1. We're looking at each of the four songs recorded in Luke chapters 1 and 2. Last week, we looked at Zechariah. This week, we're looking at the story of Mary and her song commonly known as the Magnificat. So let's begin. When you're a kid, the worst part about Christmas is waiting. Do you remember how slowly time moved when you were younger? That time between Thanksgiving and Christmas lasted about three and a half years. I think the closest thing we have to that now as adults is the time between clicking buy now and waiting for the UPS driver to show up. It takes forever. Where's my, where's my package? Anticipation. Anticipation seems to slow time down. 
Research has actually shown what we already know. When you're anticipating something, whether something positive, like a trip to Disney World, or something negative, like an impending punishment, just wait until your dad gets home, our perception of time slows down significantly. But as we get older, our perception of time speeds up because we have fewer novel experiences to look forward to. Sure, Christmas is coming, but it's not maybe as magical as it used to be. So it can come and go in the blink of an eye. But the season of Advent calls us to slow down time. Advent calls us to slow down time, to press the brakes, to to pause, to reflect, to build that anticipation, and to wait. Last week, we looked at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, an older couple who had nearly given up waiting on the Lord. In their old age, God sent his messenger Gabriel to announce that they would finally bear a son. Gabriel pressed the mute button on Zechariah because of his understandable doubts. That must have been the longest nine plus months of their lives when suddenly God showed up. But even now, they must wait. The anticipation and excitement builds. Elizabeth hides herself away from more than half the pregnancy. Time slows down, awaiting the day when they will finally get to meet their son. And then Elizabeth's young cousin Mary shows up on their door with an unbelievable story. Unbelievable? Elizabeth and Zechariah give each other a knowing glance. And with a smirk, Elizabeth says, try me. Mary was ordinary. She wasn't from a wealthy or a famous family. She probably couldn't read or write. Um, At that time, women were often uneducated. Uh, She went to temple and she paid attention. She was engaged, which could start for a female at the time uh, at the age of 12. We believe that she was a teenager. She was probably thinking about married life, what life with Joseph would be like, and eventually having children. Um, The picture that I'm trying to paint for you is this. There wasn't anything incredibly special about Mary. Um, Had she not been chosen to be Mary's mother, Jesus' mother, pardon me, uh, we often would likely have never heard of her. When Gabriel came to Mary, it was a complete surprise. She wasn't actively praying for this. When Gabriel tells her what's going to happen, she doesn't say, woohoo. She doesn't argue. She asks a very reasonable question. Um, I'm a virgin. (laughs) How am I going to get pregnant? Um, I got to tell you, I'd have a lot more questions. (laughs) Um, Zach, the angel would probably strike me silent like Zachariah too. And I got to say, I've been able to, you know, kind of Um, empathize with him a lot more the last few (laughs) days. Um, But all Mary wants to know are the basic logistics. Uh, And then she just says, I'm the Lord's servant. Yeah, so this all takes place in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. So if you have your Bibles open or if you're following along in the app, that's what we're going to read today. Luke 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, by the way. 
the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and, is, and this is the sixth month for her who, has, who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. So, just like we saw last week with Zechariah, Gabriel's message to Mary was full of what I call hyperlinks back to Israel's history and to God's promises coming to fulfillment. Let's take a quick look. Um, For instance, his greeting When the angel says, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. His greeting to Mary is similar to how God's messenger greeted Gideon in the book of Judges. Gideon, who is hiding in a wine press trying to thresh wheat, a hilarious visual, by the way, is hailed as a mighty man of valor. And here, this lowly young peasant girl is greeted as God's favored woman woman. See, God sees something in Gideon and in Mary and in you and me that they couldn't see in themselves. Next, he, uh, he drops this bombshell on her that she's going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. No gender reveal party for her. This is directly in keeping with the prophecy from Isaiah 7 that we all know and love. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. The baby born to a young maiden would be a sign of God's presence with his people and ultimately of their deliverance from their enemies. Emmanuel was never actually a proper name in Hebrew. So instead, Gabriel said this child born to Mary would be given the name Yeshua, in Hebrew, or Isa in Greek, or Jesus as we know it today. It's the same name as Joshua in the Old Testament, and just a step away from the name Elisha, the name means Yahweh delivers. Gabriel then tells her that the baby would be called Son of the Most High. He will be called Son of the Most High, combining Psalm 2, which says, I declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And Genesis 14, 
God Most High, Son of the Most High. God Most High is a title originally ascribed to God by the priest and king Melchizedek, which is a story for another day. We'll get into that later. But Mary is told that her son will be a descendant of King David, and who would ultimately make his claim on the eternal throne promised to David by God in 2 Samuel 7 to rule over a kingdom that would last forever. In her child, God is fulfilling the great covenant to David, the fulfillment of which the people of Israel had desperately awaited for centuries. Finally, Gabriel explains that the Holy Spirit would be involved in the process. The language used by God's messenger takes us right back to the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, where the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters and where God breathed into mankind the breath or spirit, same word, of life. This is new creation, a new kingdom, a new era in human history unfolding around Mary. And before she can even utter the word impossible, Gabriel cuts her off with this message, nothing will be impossible with God. When she says, I'm the Lord's servant, she's saying handmaiden. Some of your translations may even say that. Um, She's saying, I'm the lowest form of hired help. Um, My life is yours now. You are my master. I have no other purpose in life uh, than to please God. I've surrendered my life to him. And I can't help but wonder if she made the connection between her situation and the promise of God in Joel chapter 2, where he says, after this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves or handmaidens in those days. Um, She's an illiterate, uneducated teenager, but she doesn't question when Gabriel shows up. She just asks how it will happen. While Zachariah doubted and needed some kind of sign, Mary simply wants to know the process. How is this going to work? She may not have been praying for this to happen to her, but she's been paying attention. She knows what this means, and she's seemingly unafraid to walk out in faith and serve. The other big thing that happens in these 12 verses is that she just possibly gave up Joseph and maybe even her life. Um, See, Gabriel at this point had not gone to Joseph. Nazareth is a small town. Basically, everyone would know that she's engaged to Joseph. Um, They're not married yet. Not only is she facing ridicule, isolation, and rejection by appearing to have had premarital sex and gotten pregnant, but she could lose Joseph. He knows he's not the father. Uh, He could cancel the engagement and try to find someone else, or worse, he could have her killed. She belongs to them, according to their customs. She betrayed him. At least that's how it looks. He would be well within the law to have her stoned. Um, Mary's life plans just got completely knocked out of existence. And all she says is, I'm here for you to use. So, what's a young woman to do in this situation? Mary has to get out of Nazareth for a little while and process what just happened. She knows she has family down south who would welcome her no matter what. She packs her meager belongings and hits the road to spend the season with her relatives 
in Judah. I'm sure she has her spiel ready to explain to Elizabeth when she arrives, but the moment she knocks on the door, something unexpected happens. Luke 1.41 tells us, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside of her, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Little baby John, only into the third trimester, doesn't just kick and squirm. He leaps. Uh, the closest thing I ever experienced to this was a friend of ours at their wedding. Her dad sneezed super loud while I was pregnant with Aiden, and he, like, jumped because it startled him. Um, I mean, it was like he did, like, a kick leap in my belly. <laughs> but this isn't that. <laughs> Every pregnant woman probably knows that sensation. But this isn't that. This was baby John doing what baby John was meant to do getting people excited about the Messiah. He was making it clear to his mama that something amazing is happening. And then Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you notice how many times so far the Holy Spirit is mentioned? I feel like he gets left out of the Christmas story too often. We focus on the Father and the Son, but the Spirit is all over this story too. And not only that, but as far as I can tell, Elizabeth is the first person in Scripture who is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What an amazing honor. Elizabeth then blesses Mary. Blessed are you among women, and your children will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. She hasn't even talked to Mary yet. Uh, Mary probably says, hi, it's Mary, or um, it's Mary, I have something to tell you. Uh, but nothing to explain what's happened. The Holy Spirit told Elizabeth that Mary was pregnant with the Lord, and Elizabeth praised God and knew that Mary believed. This had just happened. Um, Elizabeth lived in Judea, which, if you have the map of Israel, there's the rivers. Um, Nazareth is here. <laughs> and Judea is down here. Yeah. Down there. Sorry. Um, so it would take about a week for Mary to travel down to Judea, um, give or take. Um, she probably wasn't showing any signs of being pregnant. Um, I mean, this, like, just happened. Um, the Bible is telling us here, um, it's through a spirit-led spirit woman, um, Mary believed, Elizabeth believed. Uh, Mary offered herself to be used and believed uh, what the angel said would happen, and it was happening. Which brings us to one of the most beautiful songs in the whole Bible. Mary sings a song firmly planted in the story of Scripture of God and his people, of God's mercy and compassion, of the coming Messiah, and of God's covenant. It's commonly called the Magnificat, based on the opening phrase in Latin. So let's listen to it. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. 
His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty with their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Amen. Hey, like I did last week and like we'll do with each of these songs, I'm going to play a more modern musical rendition of these songs. So let's take a listen to this modern rendition of Mary's song by Keith and his wife, Kristen Getty. It's absolutely beautiful. So let's take a listen. My soul will magnify the Lord. I rejoice in God my Savior. For he has done great things for me. He was mindful of his servant. Every age shall call me blessed. The hope of Abraham come in the giving of the son. For he that song. So let's talk about Mary's song a little bit here and what we can learn from it. See, whereas Zechariah's song that we looked at last week is taken from the words of Israel's prophets, Mary's song is a reflection on the Psalms of Scripture. In fact, uh, here's a list of all the cross-references in my study Bible to the Psalms. We are not going to go through each one of those today. But if you want to like, take a picture and look them up yourself, 
by all means, be our guest. I think the point we're trying to make is that Mary knew her scripture. Mary knew her stuff. You know, we like to listen to the song, Mary, Did You Know? It came on in the car on the way here to church this morning. And it's a beautiful song, don't get me wrong. But yeah, she knew. She knew the scriptures. She knew the promises of God. She knew what was happening in the Messiah's mission. In fact, she could probably write the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting the Messiah. <laughs> she knew. Mary knew more than maybe we think she did. We even think Mary saw a lot of herself in the person of Hannah, if you're familiar with her story, which is found in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. We think Mary saw a lot of herself in the person of Hannah, the mother of the great prophet Samuel. Just listen to Hannah's prayer as she devotes her baby boy into the Lord's service, and you'll see Mary's inspiration. Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. And there is no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and actions are weighed by him. The bows of our of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are starving hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth to seven, but the woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol, and he raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the trash heap. He seats them with noblemen and gives them a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world on them. He guards the steps of his faithful ones, but the wicked perish in darkness. For a person does not prevail by his own strength. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. Amen. Hannah's powerful prayer here is a testament to her trust in God. There was no king in Israel during her time. She lived during the chaotic time of the judges, full of war and violence and uncertainty. Yet Hannah prays powerfully about the hope she has in God through this child that she's entrusting to him. She eagerly awaits a revolution, a time when God would act to set all things right again, to exalt the lowly, to provide for the poor. So what about Mary? Mary knows what's up, just like Hannah. Mary knows God is doing something great through her. She won't be the one to change the world, but 
her son will. She knows the promises God has made to her ancestors centuries beforehand. She knows, she believes, she trusts, and she stays humble. Like Hannah, uh, Mary begins her song by giving thanks to God, recognizing that he is working in her. She is expressing to God in front of her relative her great praise and adoration of the Lord. Um, Mary worships God for his wonderful acts, for his mercy, and for choosing her. Hannah is praying this right after giving her son to the temple. Um, she's fulfilling her promise. God gave her a child, and she's giving that child to God. But she's giving him for God's use without fully knowing what would become of him. Even in this uncertainty, leaving this child behind that she begged for and pleaded for God to give her a child, she's still praising God for his faithfulness. Mary, like Hannah, has to be facing so many unknowns like we talked about. She doesn't know what will happen with her relationship, her standing in the community, her life, not to mention what it means for her to be carrying the Messiah and then what will happen with her baby of him being the Messiah. And yet she can do nothing else but celebrate God and praise him for all he has done for generations past and will do for coming generations. But more than just being a feel-good song of thanksgiving, Mary's prayer is a song of revolution. It's a dangerous song. There's a reason that dictators throughout history have banned the public reading of Mary's song in times of unrest. Mary knows that when the Messiah comes, he will scatter the proud, topple the mighty from their thrones, and send the rich away empty. This is a full-blown moral, social, and economic revolution, a complete Upheaval, turning the world upside down. Viva la revolución. God will do that because that's what God has done. This is how God works in the world. Humanity, left to our own devices, <laughs> values power, prestige, possessions, and position. It's a race to the top leaving a trail of dead bodies behind. Might makes right. He who dies with the most toys wins. You get the picture. But when God acts, he undoes it all. He sets everything to right. He humbles the proud and exalts the lowly. He tears down rulers and thrones, and he replaces kings with shepherd boys. He tells the rich to get lost while the poor eat their fill at his banquet table. I wonder where Jesus got some of his crazy ideas about, you know, the first being last and all that. I believe Mary had a bigger influence on Jesus than we may have originally thought. Mary paid attention. Um, one of the most interesting things to me about Mary is how much she knew um, when she 
shouldn't have. <laughs> um, she was able to recall passages, including those from Psalms, maybe Joel, Samuel, um, because she paid attention. Um, and there's a lot more that I can get into that about how um, women in that time might have gone to temple and what it looked like, but we don't have time, but it's interesting. Um, but generally speaking, for the time period, um, she should not have been able to do this. Uh, so skipping ahead, we're told that Mary treasures instances with Jesus in her heart. She's an observer with a servant's heart. She knows the prophecies, and she's eagerly awaiting the Messiah like all of the other devout people. And she finds out that she's the one to bring him into the world. She gets to be a part of this legacy. This ordinary, small-town woman gets to do the extraordinary. But she does it with humility and praise and gratitude for the part that she gets to play in the coming of the Savior. Her Savior their Savior, and our Savior. It's extraordinary. Amen. So you've seen those cards laying around, so take one or two of those. And this is one I want you to reflect on this week. Be like Mary. Be an observer with a servant's heart. Reflect on these passages. Maybe there are some of you who need to know that nothing is impossible with God. Maybe you've been praying for the impossible. Maybe you've been praying for a miracle, for healing, or for a relationship to be reconciled, or for a job to open up to you. It, something that seems impossible. Nothing will be impossible with God. Some of you need to hear that. Maybe some of you this week need to hear this blessing that Elizabeth speaks over Mary. That blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. You are blessed when you trust in the Lord, when you trust in his promises, when you trust even in the uncertainty, even when you can't make sense of it all, and you trust, you are blessed. You are blessed for, for believing and for trusting. Maybe some of you need to just take a moment this week and like Mary, just Pour out your heart in praise to God, where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. To magnify means to make big, right? To make something big of God, to make big of Christ our Savior. To make him big and make yourself a little bit smaller. Maybe you need to spend time praising and magnifying God this week. Maybe some of you in here need to just take a moment and reflect on what God has already done. Like Mary says, the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. Maybe you need to reflect on what God has already done to give you hope to face whatever tomorrow brings your way. Because the mighty one is on your side. The all-powerful, the strong, the one who speaks galaxies into existence. He is on your side. He has done great things for you. He's gotten you this far. He's not going to leave you. Reflect on these things this week as we prepare for Advent. Anticipation. Like I said earlier, anticipation makes time slow down. We rest assured that God is not slow in keeping his promises. But he wants all people everywhere to come to repentance, to know his son, to experience eternal life. 
See, in the grand scheme, I love this quote, in the grand scheme we all know, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, as Julian of Norwich reminds us. But we don't live in the grand scheme, and neither did Mary. We live in the meantime, and in the meantime, we groan, we weep, we mourn, we struggle, and we persevere. We long for the day when God will put all things to right. But for right now, we resonate with Paul's words from Romans chapter 8. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as, first, as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. I'm going to invite the worship team back up to reflect on these things this week. We live in the already but not yet of God's promises. Just like a pregnant woman is already a mother but is not yet holding her child in her arms, so we live in the in-between of God's blessings now and his promised hope to come. Hannah, Elizabeth, Mary, and every mother out there knows the reality of this anticipation well. Advent is a season of waiting, of anticipating, of looking ahead, like Mary, to a time when God comes to visit. Until then, in the meantime, we wait, we hope, we pray, we give thanks, and we persevere. Lord, come quickly. Amen, church. Let's all stand, if you would, if you're able and willing. We'll have one more song, and then we'll be dismissed.